Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here are your hosts, editor Christian Berg and associate editor Mark Demko. All right, welcome back to the Bow Hunting Podcast presented by Lancaster Archery Supply. For all your bow hunting needs, visit LancasterArchery.com. We've got the gear, we've got the knowledge, we've got the passion. Mr. Demko, it's going to be a big week, big show. We're going to be talking some shed hunting, and we've got a couple great guests. Absolutely. Hey, we'd like to welcome um, Cody Robbins and Jason Snavely, two of our longtime contributors, more importantly, avid uh, shed hunters. Uh, thank you for joining us, gentlemen. I, I know that it's probably pretty cold where you're at, Cody. It's it's really cold right now. It's supposed to be the last two days of cold weather here in March in the foreseeable forecast. So I'm really excited for the snow to start melting and to be able to get out there and start looking for some antlers. Well, Cody, um, you know, for those who don't know, Cody writes our Live to Hunt column, which is uh, very creatively named after his television show of the same name and uh you just had a heck of a shed hunting column for us in uh the april may issue uh you guys find a lot of great sheds out there and and i want to talk about that but i also want to bring jason in jason uh our, our esteemed whitetails columnist look like you're sitting in, in a dark room there are you suffering from depression or what's no going on? i told you i told you i battle kidney stones so i'm just kind of chilling today in my office and i don't i don't the lights are on i'm not sure maybe it's your screen i don't know but you know it's not as cold as it is for cody um and it's good that's a good thing because i'm not built for it i'm built more like a key deer so the he's talking minus whatever that that i'd have the first flight out of there but uh yeah super excited thanks for having me well, yeah, it's always a pleasure. And uh, so we're here in uh, sort of uh, early March, getting in maybe towards mid-March. And, you know, depending on where you are, if you're up where Cody is, there's probably a lot of snow on the ground and it might be a while until, you know, you see the ground uh, here in Pennsylvania, which is where the, the other three of us are. We've barely had any snow at all in the shed hunting conditions are probably uh, a pretty good right now, aren't they, Jason? They are. They are. Yeah. You know, I think I remember having this conversation with you many years ago when we went on that first shed hunt here on my farm. If if I could pick a shed season, it would be the middle of March. If I could keep guys out of the woods and and holding my kids back right now, they're sixteen and twelve. Is like is like keeping a a retriever from going on retrieve they're shaking and they're going crazy so they've been out and they've found some sheds but yeah it's 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 been great this year we've already found uh quite a few of all all age classes so super excited about that yeah and when you say if you could pick a season and keep everybody out you're basically saying so that you could have the majority of the antlers shed and on the ground you know, at that point, basically, and kind of try to cover everything in, in sort of one good sweep, if you will. Yeah. So, you know, listen, when you're here in the East Coast, like the three of us are, you've got different land ownership patterns than obviously Cody has or, you know, Texas. I just came back from the Midwest and even Illinois, you know, clients have large, you know, land holdings. So we were finding quite a few sheds driving around. But 
when you're in the East Coast like this, high hunter density, small properties, I, I just I don't like to get out there and push them off their you know southwest facing bedding areas and, and food source. I like to just kind of let them be. Now, obviously, as shed hunting has become quite popular in the last, I guess, 10 years. Um, so, you know, you kind of have, everybody feels anxious, right? They want to get out there and beat, beat the rest of them to it. And I think sometimes that plays against us for sure. Now, again, if you have a large tract of land and you know, nobody's trespassing, we have had shed poachers here on our property in PA. And I'm sure we've had more that we don't know of. So that's a real, a real issue. Shed poachers, Cody. Is shed poaching a big thing in Saskatchewan? It's huge. It's it's probably the same anywhere. Shed hunting has gotten so popular. You know, it's a craze now. My my wife went to her hairdresser a year ago and was getting hair extensions put in. Her hairdresser is not a hunter, just a girly girl, big hair, long fingernails. And she went out the weekend before doing Kelsey's hair and found a great big set of mule deer sheds. And wanted to show Kelsey. And Kelsey was like, what the heck? You're not a hunter? She goes, no, but there was people that were talking about shed antler hunting. And it was good exercise. And it was a great way to get out and get fresh air. So my girlfriends and I went shed hunting. Like, trespassing is a huge thing now. Because there's so many people doing it. And it's so popular. I'm sure it's the same down there. That people need a place to go. And the public land gets smashed so hard. People don't find anything. And then they feel that pressure or the need to go on other people's land without permission. And it's, it's, it's sad. It's, it's really too bad that we have to deal with that, but it's, I'm sure it's a common thing anywhere shed hunting exists right now. Yeah. I mean, and you don't see a whole lot of regulations in our part of the world. I don't know what it's like in Saskatchewan, you know, like I know out in the Western U S especially for elk sheds, you know, the competition for those, is so intense and especially on the public land you know some of those states out there actually have seasons and defined dates when, where you can actually go out and even collect sheds we don't have anything like that here i mean you can just go out whenever you want um what's it like up there in in saskatchewan is there any rules about doing it there are no rules but i admire the rules that i see um there's been some new rules applied I, th I think it was in utah or maybe colorado where uh you're not allowed to go shed antler hunting until a certain date it's shut down you have to, and to me in those more harsh conditions or harsh climates you know you're leaving the elk and the mule deer in their winter range you're not bumping them out and it's a very good thing for the wildlife and then that way they can shed out all the antlers are there in one area once it's spring and they're not harmed by being pressured or pushed or moved in the country where they wouldn't normally winter. I think it's a great thing. I wish they would implement something like that in Saskatchewan. It's, uh, you know, as Jason was saying, you want to keep those animals or it's, it's cool to keep those animals in one place, you know, where they can winter and do their thing. And then in the spring, all those antlers are laying in one spot. They're not getting pushed around. You're not going to find a set of antlers. You're not going to find one antler here and the other antler three miles away because he got bumped so many times. I think it's a positive thing to leave them be health wise. And just for the sake of picking up sheds and getting collections off deer, I like it. And I wish they would add something like that to Saskatchewan, like they've done down in the southwestern states where it's, it's or not southwestern, but midwestern states where it's really cold. Yeah, you know, Mark, I think that I'm really looking forward to talking to Cody and Jason about 
a variety of things related to shed hunting and the sheds themselves that we can learn, you know, about the biology and health of the deer, the location of the deer, you know, insights that we can get for hunting. But Cody actually touched on something that I wanted to cover quickly before we get into that. And that was, you know, this hairdresser who decides to go out and do shed hunting with a bunch of her friends. And, you know, it could be all manner of people for all different reasons, but, you know, antlers are cool and antlers have become kind of, kind of chic in modern decorating and somebody who maybe will never go hunting or have any interest in hunting would maybe like to have a pair of antlers to put on their coffee table, or like Cody said, maybe they just want a good excuse to get out and walk in the woods. So you have all these different people and reasons for being out there and wanting these things. And then some people, of course, want to sell these. So they're motivated maybe by a financial reason as opposed to just a curiosity from a hunting perspective. So there is quite a bit of competition and interest in shed hunting that you know, uh, amongst people who who you wouldn't necessarily see out there in the fall. You know, absolutely. And I think, you know, but one of the great things you touch on is it, it can really be a family activity. You can get the kids out there. And in that case, maybe uh, you'll get a group of friends together and you'll go out and do some shed hunting. Um, certainly, I talked to Shane and Drebo. He lives in Wisconsin. Last year, he's head of the, the, the Shed Hunting Association. Uh, it's a nonprofit here in the United States. And he was talking about the growth and how popular it's become to go out and look for antlers once they're cast. And uh, you find the right sets. There's people who are willing to pay a, a good amount of money for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's a good that you said, too, about the, you know, the families and the kids, because, you know, Jason mentioned earlier, life has gotten kind of crazy, Jason. It's not as easy to even just get together with the kids like I can barely find a time to do much of anything with my kids anymore. But, you know, we had some fun hunts at your place. Uh, and uh, nice, you don't have to be quiet. You don't got to worry about running around like a nut, disturbing things. And and uh, yeah, it's just kind of a free, free time to be out in the woods and just kind of relax and enjoy as opposed to during the season when you're going to be much more concerned about every impact that you're making. Uh, and I know you enjoy hunting with your wife, uh, of course, you know, real hunting, but the shed hunting, Cody, is is a lot of fun for you guys, too. It, it really is. It, it's a family affair for us. We go out. Our kids are five and nine. But over the last few years, with the deep snow in Saskatchewan, you probably have probably 18 inches on the level at any time. And we, we get on the deer trails. But I, I've been backpacking my kids for, well, for nine years straight now because I've had had one the right age to be sitting in my pack for nine years since we had our first and right up to where this might be the first year that we don't I don't have a little girl peeking over my shoulder while we're cruising through the bush but uh, back to the hairdresser back to little kids it doesn't matter if you're a hunter or not shed hunting is super cool you know I, I get frustrated at how many people are doing it now but it's cool when you can go out and you can find a decoration to put on your coffee table or you can go out and you can find some poundage to make a little bit of money and get some exercise or if you want to go out and you want to find collections off deer like a passionate trophy hunter would do shed hunting is awesome i people have asked me if you could only do one or the other if you could be a hunter or a shed hunter i've picked being a shed hunter or picking sheds every time now i love hunting so i would never want to give it up and i hope i'm never faced with that alternative but you can't deny it. Shed hunting is absolutely awesome. When you can go out on a sunny day in the spring, 
when the snow has melted and you can pick up a backpack full of antlers off of different deer and they're chocolate brown. To me, that is the greatest way to be living. I love it. That's almost that's almost as bad as Snavely admitting that he enjoys turkey hunting more than whitetail hunting. I don't know which which one of you two guys has disappointed me the most today. <laughs> <laughs> Turkeys um, win every time. Jason, you mentioned something earlier, and I think it's a good transition. You talked about the southeast slopes and not wanting to push the deer off of there. And, and maybe we can start there in terms of some practical shed hunting tips. Like, you know, where do you look for them? What are your high odds areas? What sort of technique do you use for, you know, gritting an area or keeping track of, you know, what you've covered and, you know, <clears throat> can be a little different in our area. You know, Cody talked about the deer trails and when there's that much snow on the ground, I think it probably literally concentrates the deer movement, not just the particular areas, but even literally particular paths that almost all the deer will use because it's beaten down and it allows them to conserve energy by walking in the same place over and over again. Here, I don't know that the deer are going to be that faithful to literally retracing their steps over and over again. So our sheds might be a little bit more spread out than what Cody might find, depending on a given, you know, winter type conditions. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I guess as the nerdy science deer biologist, I look at it from a, a biological and a management perspective as two kind of double sided coin there. Um, if you think about what a whitetail has just gone through uh, in the you know the months leading up to that that crazy thing popping off his head, you know he's lost twenty five maybe thirty percent of his body mass, um, just chasing, focusing on something other than actual survival. Right? There's a, a huge desire to breed, and not to mention you know. <laughs> The, the nutritional bottleneck that, that all whitetails experience that time of year. But then you have so much, and I can say this, I guess, as a private lands manager, you have so much mismanagement out there um, where folks are not intensively managing native habitat and planting food plots and managing timber. And of course, if you're in agriculture, you know, that, that kind of helps. It's not one big giant food plot like they have, you know, you tend to hear. So I look at it as if I'm a mature buck or a buck period, and I've just gone through that extremely calorically expensive time period, where would I hang out? And it's just, you know, so much of it. I told a client, I got to go. I'm on a podcast about shed hunting. And his response was, what more can we talk about when it comes to sheds? And, you know, it's a good point, but a lot of it really does kind of go back to common sense. And that is, if if you've just spent that much that many that that many calories invested in making sure your genes um, continue, you know that's what we call fitness. That you produce offspring, you're going to be looking for food. You're going to be looking for solar energy. You're going to be looking for areas that are out of the wind. You're going to be looking for areas where you do not have to go very far for water. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I look at it when I'm looking. But you know. I agree with Cody. I would I would much rather find a shed antler personally than than kill a buck. Now, obviously, once once they either throw a drop tine or hit 200 inches, those are two 
two things on my bucket list yet, and I haven't checked either one of them off, but anything below that, I would much rather find the sheds. And you can, you know, as a man, that was the biological aspect. As a manager, um, myself and clients alike will do what we call bank forage. And we'll actually use electric fencing, um, some case physical fencing to sort of bank and store uh, forage or food plot, whatever you're going to plant until this time of the year. I know that sounds crazy, but yeah, that's, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for food. Yeah. That's amazing. So yeah, some people actually will have food plots to concentrate deer this time of year, specifically to create a sort of a magnet zone for bucks that are close to dropping. And then the odds are high of finding those sheds, you know, around those areas. That's right. And if you want to get real crazy, which we won't today, but I'll just throw this out there. As a biologist, I can pick species. Um, well, let me back up. So white-tailed deer cannot go to the doctor. They cannot go to the pharmacy. They, you know, herbivores are really good at, at self-medicating, right? So they know what species to consume when they have worms. They, and I'm not, you know, not, they don't know, but obviously they, through, uh, you know, tr nutritional wisdom and just imprinting from mama, they know where to go to find things like chicory and plantain. So we have been selecting specific species and forages that whitetails would be looking for this time of year, whether it was to rebuild certain nutrients, um, you know, it's there was mule deer research. This is kind of fascinating. You know, that whitetails will actually mobilize nutrients, minerals from their bones, from their skeletal system to grow antlers. And even whitetails who are, you know, on a on a perfect diet will still mobilize those minerals from their rib bones and other parts of the body. So as soon as that period's over. And antlerogenesis begin, you know, once it's the sheds dropped or cast and the antler growth has begun, those critters are looking for something to rebuild those, you know, all, all those minerals and nutrients. So I think if you, you know, again, it's crazy, but if you're looking to get pretty serious at this, we look at the species in these banked forages, um, you know, to, to maximize or optimize how many sheds or the level of attractiveness that time of year. Well, Cody. I'm guessing that when you choose where to go shed hunting, you're not typically thinking of it from quite the scientific level that Jason is. What is your practical advice for, you know, identifying your high percentage shed hunting areas? Well, I, I find what Jason was talking about super interesting. I'm intrigued. I would love to invite him shed hunting and pick his brain. I know he's uh, from Pennsylvania, so it's a lot different here. But from biological standpoint, I would just love to learn. I love hearing him talk about what deer need at certain times. Um, as far as me shed hunting and concentrating on where I'm going to be going, it's it's pretty straightforward this time of year because we're feeding them pretty heavy and big herds of deer. They get herded up in that area where I'm feeding them. So it goes from you know 45 resident deer in a spot that, where that would be living there normally in the fall. And by this time of year, there's probably over 200 whitetails living in that one spot. And with 18 inches of snow, you know, they get, they get an area, they get their trails packed down, they get their bedding areas packed down on south facing slopes. And it, in a way it's quite easy because 
if you go off the beaten path, you're not going to find a shed because you know they haven't gone there. Um, it can also be hard too, though, if, if the snow conditions are bad, the deer will be walking down a trail and he gives his head a shake and he flips his antler. If the snow is fluffy and soft and there's no crust on top, that antler just goes poof and it falls into the snow and it's gone. And it's just one of those things where you can look and look and look. And I hate looking in the winter going too far from the feed because I don't want to stress the deer out. I don't want to bump them off of those trails that they have built. And it makes it easier for the predators. It, it, make, it makes it just easier for them not to succeed making it through the winter. So a lot of the times we wait until the snow melts and then you know where those trails were. So you more so scout at, so that you know where the deer were concentrated in wintering in the wintertime, whether you go for a skidoo ride and do some glassing, um, go for small hikes, but don't bother them too much. And then you wait for the snow to melt. And Jason was saying, you know, middle to the end of March is his favorite time. It's our favorite time too. As soon as the snow starts melting, that sun gets so hot in March, even on days where it's not plus temperatures or not melting temperatures, that sun is hot enough. It melts the snow off those dark antlers and creates kind of a cradle around them. And they just stick out like a, like a beacon. So um, once we get a little bit warmer here near the end of March, it's really exciting to go into those areas and spot big black antlers that are sticking out. And that's, that's my favorite time of the year. Mark, why don't you jump in? Because I know you're always thinking as people are talking and you're hesitant to interrupt. Well, yeah, I mean, the one thing, and Cody, you're talking about how sort of you have some environmental factors, you know, the weather and other things that sort of concentrate the deer. Um, I'm guessing you've had some pretty stellar days when you've gone out, but what's the craziest day you've ever had shed hunting as far as maybe success or some kind of thing that was just so memorable? Because I'm imagining you've had some pretty banner days when you've been out picking up antlers. I Okay, so this is this is a long-winded story, and I'll try and put myself in fast forward, but this is the greatest shed hunting day that, that I've ever had, and I will never forget it. Um, I was in high school. I think I was in grade 11 or grade 12. I, I wasn't a I wasn't a bad student where I was like loud and obnoxious and made noise, but I was a bad student in the way that I didn't pay attention. I, my mind was always on hunting or antlers or getting home to feed my cows and my attention span to biology or physics or chemistry. It just wasn't there. And my principal, I, her and I had a pretty good, I wouldn't say friendship, but we had a good relationship. I, I wasn't a bad kid. And she just kind of knew that my heart wasn't in it all the time. But uh, one day I was actually in detention or something and she came over to me and said you love deer antlers don't you and i said yeah i'm i'm crazy about them she said well my husband and i own 160 acres of land and it's north of town about 45 minutes and i noticed the other day i thought of you because we went in to do something with the water trough when the cows are going to be in there grazing in the summer and from the one water trough my husband was working on the water trough me standing by the water trough by the vehicle i could see four different big white antlers sticking up on little hillsides around me just from one spot i could see four antlers and i thought of you because i know you enjoy shed hunting and i thought to myself like shed hunting is really competitive and i thought to myself how in the heck could there be four antlers that she would notice from one spot and i i blew it off about 10 days goes by and she's like hey you were out shed hunting on the weekend i heard you talking to your pals about shed hunting you should really go to our pasture i wasn't joking there's there's you can see antlers laying around I'm like, oh, okay, well, draw me a map. So she draws me a map on paper and I take it and I come home and I call my best friend and I'm like, you know what? We should take Mrs. Seymour, Mrs. Seymour's offer up and go shed hunting on our land. Well, it's a 45 minute drive. We're kids. We're like 16, 17. 
you know, gas was a big deal. We'd have to pool our money together to get enough gas in the truck to drive 45 minutes away. We drive to this pasture and we're driving down this back road. I'm looking on this piece of paper. And I'm like, okay, it's on Triumph Road. So we go two miles up Triumph Road. And now about a mile up here, there should be a gate on the left. And I had my brother with me and I had my best friend, Shane Hunter. And we're driving down the road and I'm looking at the map. And I think Shane was driving and my brother screams, there's a shed. And we all turn and look. And there's a 78 inch, six point whitetail shed, white and cracked, like old, laying on a hillside inside her fence. And we slam on the brakes. We all jump out of the truck. We're racing for it. We get back. We're like, wow, that was like crazy. I can't believe we found a 78 inch single antler from a main road. Like it's out of this world. We get back in the truck. We drive 50 yards farther and we're looking at this shed and how big it was. And somebody else screams, there's another one. And we look. <laughs> There's another big antler, like 50 yards out into the pasture. We make it to this lady's gate. We pull in the gate and we drive in the pasture and it was just yelling and screaming. And there was antlers laying like Easter eggs <laughs> everywhere. We'll never see it again. I, like I, I know for a fact, we had two hours to shed hunt that day. And we all just ran separate directions, just yelling. Like there was just like a panic. You had to beat everybody because there was antlers in sight everywhere. No one had picked antlers there in history. There was antlers there was 80 inch whitetail antlers laying there that the, the points had rotted off. They, the points were gone from time, from, from the sunshine, just from, just from the elements, like probably 20 years old. We're lucky that we don't have squirrels like you folks do. I think you guys in Pennsylvania have squirrels that chew the antlers, don't they? Oh yeah. It's bad. You very yeah. rarely, unless you find a shed quickly here, you, you mice and squirrels and, you know, other critters will definitely uh, get at it. So yeah, most of the sheds that I find are uh, not on in some way, shape or form. Yeah, okay. Well, that day was a day that I'll never forget. We found each one of us, we could only shed antler hunt for two hours before we had to get back to some function that one of our parents had planned for us. But we all found over 30 antlers. Now, I know... For me, I probably saw 50 antlers, but I was the ones that were too cracked and brittle. I was running past them because I couldn't carry them all. And I was only picking up the antlers that were in good shape, that were the biggest ones. And I came home with 39, 39 incredible sheds that day. I didn't bring home spikers. I didn't bring home little yearlings, nothing. 39 antlers that were had substance to them. And we went back to that country four or five days that year for full days. And we found hundreds and hundreds of antlers. And we had days where we found consecutive sets off bucks for six and seven years in a row where the deer probably died of old age. And we found 70% of the antlers he dropped over his lifespan and put them in rows that few days. Now that was back in 1997 or 1998. And of course, with the popularity of shed hunting, I'm confident we're never going to see anything like that again in our, our lifetimes. It's just too popular and it, it just wouldn't exist to, to find a, a virgin piece of territory like that. But that was something I'll never, ever forget. It was a really fun day or fun spring in that country. Well, first of all, I've got to thank Mr. Demko. That's the question of the podcast right there, Mark. I mean, that that story was incredible. In fact, it was so incredible, Cody. If you hadn't been there yourself, I'd say it was total BS. It's, it's almost <laughs> completely unbelievable. 
And it begs a follow-up question, which is, my God, man, did you guys get permission to hunt Mrs. Seymour's property then after that? We did. Do you want to see a set of antlers that I found that day? The, oh, heck the biggest? Yeah. Okay, heck just yeah. I'll be Go 10 seconds. Them. Go grab them. This guy. Hey, Christian, I, I want to I see the map, right? I want to see the map so we can find it. <laughs> hey, this was before OnX or any of that. You know? he, had yeah. paper, he had a paper map. Look, he's back with the sheds. Oh, my. I found this set of antlers that day, and it's uh, this side is an 87-inch five-point whitetail shed. No stickers, mass like you have never seen in your, like, crazy mass. And I did get permission for Mrs. Seymour to go back and hunt. And I went back and hunted this deer that fall and the next fall. Never found any more sheds off of them. Look at and, the, and look never at saw the mass all person. the way out. Look on that antler that you're holding close to the camera right now. Look at the mass all the way out to the end of the main beam. Crazy mass, crazy. Like this deer grossed with, with an estimated spread. So we're just guessing there, but I got him entered in the North American shed hunting record book, shed, the North American shed hunting club. I, uh, to get sidetracked, Shane and Drebo, he came up and did some shed hunting with me three springs in a row, actually. So um, when he was mentioned, I, I giggled because I've spent lots of time with him. He's, he's a really good guy, lots of fun. But this, this set of antlers grossed 191. And would have netted about 181 would be a net Boone and Crockett by 11 inches. And that's what was laying around Mrs. Seymour's land. And there was, there was white antlers this size. There was no end of them. There was, there was antlers this size that were white and chalky with the points rotting off that I jumped over. I didn't even want to pick up because I was trying to get one that was fresh and brown. It, it was crazy. All right. So let's throw it over to Jason, man. When you see... Uh, a, a pair of sheds like that, Mr. Biologist. What does that tell you about the health and overall uh, condition of that deer? Uh, and you know, uh, what else are you gleaning there? I have, yeah, I have, I have a lot of thoughts right now. Like I said, first and foremost, I never had a principal like Mrs. Seymour. Hell, I didn't even like my principal. <laughs> this is not fair. But you know, I would like to see that map, Cody. Um, <laughs> No, I mean, that's, you know, that, that's amazing. That's incredible. And I think there's any number of directions we can go with that, right? Um, I think one of the, and I'll go this direction, you know, social media and and the way that things are now. Um, could you imagine, Cody, if, if social media was around back in 98, whenever you, or 97, when you found those? Um, you know, it's, it's, that's just absolutely incredible. And, and, I was going to joke and say we have the same thing here, certainly not to that extent, but we have had years like that. And it makes it makes me wonder, you know, as a biologist, again, I guess I go at that nerdy, you know, I'm not always trying to kill them. I'm not I'm not a professional hunter. Um, Cody's more than that. I, my job is to grow them so that my clients can consistently kill mature bucks. So I'm looking at that. And thinking, man, what is going on here with the juxtapositioning of this particular field? And, you know, you probably are finding shed antlers from bucks that just do not utilize that habitat during the hunting season, right? We like to think that they do, and I'm sure many of them do, but there are most certainly bucks that um, are, are sort of like the people who I share Florida with in the winter months. 
Um, they're, they're certainly not my age. They're a little older, but um, they travel, you know, down there for the winter and then they go back to Michigan or, or Pennsylvania or whatever all summer. So, you know, but from, from just the sheer density of sheds that he found there, obviously there was a food source that likely was very unique, you know, probably, I don't know, for thousands of acres or yeah, acres in that area. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it was just the positioning on, I'll give you an example, certainly won't touch what Cody just talked about, but we have a, a South facing slope here on the farm. And, uh, it, it, before I bought it, it was a production ag field. So it was corn beans, corn beans on rotation, which really isn't a rotation. It's a, an alternation. Um, and I took that field one year and I was trying to decide which radish I liked for a particular blend a food plot blend that I, that I had. So I just went and bought, I think it was, I don't know, five or six different radish types and, and drilled them in about four to five acres um, right here by the house on a South facing slope, not thinking anything of it to the set. When I say juxtaposition, it's, it's sort of how the habitat lays out. So I have the food just to the South of that abutting it is a Southwest facing bedding area that, no one is allowed in. Um, and when we shed hunt, we're even kind of quiet. It's kind of the holy grail of the property. And I was watching deer from the house because of the location of that uh, field, that food plot. And, you know, they would dig through the snow and just slinging snow like a snow blower, digging out these, um, I think it was, yeah, it was a radish plot, not a turnip plot. And that year, um, we had learned prior to put the sun to our back, like Cody's mentioning, you know, when you have the sun to your advantage and it hits these big, bright white tips, or even if they are, you know, darker, you can see them better. Um, it would take a fool to not see the sheds Cody's holding up. But we put the sun to our back one day and I had the whole family, uh, my wife and two kids. And I don't, I would be lying if I told you how many we found. It was somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 or 13 within a, that's probably a two and a half to three acre bedding area, which is pretty small. And that's a very high density of sheds in a state like Pennsylvania, where obviously we have high hunter densities and, you know, carrying bucks into the older age classes is a, is a big, big challenge. So taking all in the context, I think that was um, sort of a lesson learned that, okay, we need to be looking at how these habitat, these major habitat components um, you know, sort of sit with one another. And that was the year that I actually installed a, uh, a water guzzler in that bedding area because I didn't have water there. And I, it, it made me wonder how many sheds did I lose? Um, because the next, you know, live water or Creek was actually across a, well, there was two, um, across some major roads, right? So I don't, I want to make them lazy. I, I don't want to make them walk all the way over there for water if they don't have to so we kind of brought the water to them and put it in that bedding area so i guess multiple there was a lot there that cody was talking about but you know that's that's certainly the holy grail right there well what do we learn as bow hunters i mean i think that's where we need to spend the rest of our time together today you know you already touched on one thing jason which is just because you find a shed from a really nice buck in a particular location doesn't mean that you can kill that buck there 
during the season because he may not be there or he may. So how do I figure out which is he or isn't he? Yeah. I, I mean, obviously there's trail cameras, which I can run preseason and in season, but uh, you know, what are some of your key takeaways uh, from a hunting perspective, whether it's for you, for a client, you know, what do you tell a client who calls you or emails you a picture? He's all excited. He just found a great set of sheds. And now that's his target buck, you know, for, for this coming fall. Uh, what's the game plan? Again, I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of people find the sheds and I watch my kids, they race to them and, and, you know, there's me, the old guy, I'm just kind of standing there for a while observing why was this buck here at that, you know, that crucial moment in his life. And, you know, I, I say that a lot of bucks will go on excursions um, just because he, maybe he's not there as what we kind of consider a frequent customer, you know, on, on the norm. Maybe he does take late season excursions for that same habitat component that he's using. So, you know, again, I just think general observations, a lot of people pick up a shed, they're taking a picture for, you know, social media and they're excited and they should be, but then they forget to stop for a minute and just look around and say, I wonder why that, maybe he was just in a transition area, who knows? But I remember, I don't know if you remember this, um, we, when you and I shed hunted with the boys years ago, I explained that this one stand had a lot of deadfalls, a lot of timber that had, you know, fallen over, matured, wind storms, ice storms. And I said, generally, what you guys want to do is if you can gain a, 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 a height, advantage, height advantage and jump up on some of these logs, you, a lot of times when you do that, you see sheds that you will never see just because of the way this habitat was, it, was, it looked like, you know, a tornado had hit it. And our two boys just happened to race <laughs> to one downfall pine log. This is one, one of my favorite shed memories. And they jumped up on it. And at the same time, they said, there it is. And, they, and there was a matching set of sheds laying at the base of that. I think it was a pine tree. So what, you know, bucks like to, to get their backs up against a uh, deadfall and lay against that deadfall. The structure just feels good and comfortable. Um, so, you know, sometimes you get that what we call a search image for predators. If they find a, you know, a turkey pole in a particular habitat type, now they have a search image and they're going to keep looking. I think sometimes just making an observation as to where you found it so that you can develop that search image and say, and now, now when you, my wife got so mad the other day, actually yesterday, uh, we went out for, she's a non-hunter and to, to Cody's point about the hairdresser, she loves to exercise and wanted to just get out with the kids. And we were supposed to be sort of like driving deer. We were supposed to be staying in our lane. And my 12-year-old daughter knew we were coming up on a particular habitat type, and she started to curl in, and she found a pretty nice shed right in front of my wife on her lane. And my wife's like, what the heck? This, you know, you, you can't be doing this. So, and that, she's only 12, but, and there's a specific buck she's looking for. So she's on a mission. She passed a six-year-old this year. Um, yes, a six-year-old that I wanted to, to kill her for. Um, but she, she didn't think he was ready and she felt like his times were too short and she wanted to see what he would do for next year. So she's been on a mission, but to, to my point about that search image, like a predator, um, you eventually develop kind of a, a search image for what habitat types and components deer tend to, to utilize during shed drop. Cody, 
what uh, what are your biggest takeaways from a, a hunting perspective? Obviously, you enjoy shed hunting uh, a ton just for the fun that it is all on its own. But but what are your thoughts as a bow hunter as you find sheds? And and again, you know, you you said it earlier. I mean, you're feeding deer. You're concentrating deer. Surely a lot of those deer don't live on your property year-round. So so what value is there uh, from, from a hunting perspective to a lot of those sheds if those are bucks that might be four or five miles or more away uh, for a lot of the year? I, I love it in the spring when you're surprised by an antler off of a deer that you don't know. It's so easy to keep tabs on what exists there because you have trail cameras everywhere everybody has a huge arsenal of trail cameras and you think you know completely what's out there but it's crazy every single year when i'm out looking on my land or in certain secret shed spots that i really enjoy i hunt on a big chunk of public land and i love going shed hunting there it happens all the time i go out there and i find a great big antler that i know nothing about and i I love those days because there isn't a whole bunch of surprise anymore. There's surprise when you get a new trail cam pick of a big deer, but you think you know everything. And then you're walking along and you find this great big antler that you don't know. There's been so many times I sit there and think somebody planted this to try and trick me. And then of course I come back to reality and I realize that that's a real deer that exists. And that's what it teaches you that, that he exists. He may not live right where your tree stand is or right where you're focused in the fall, but it, it pushes you and drives you to try and locate that deer. He's maybe migrated from a, a couple miles away to come in winter in our area, but he's not too far away. And it it motivates a person to branch out, put up more cameras in the summertime, try new spots and try and locate where he lives. And it, it creates a whole new challenge. I, I had a buck um, the last couple of years, actually the story kind of ended. Well, not ended. There hasn't been an ending. He's just kind of disappeared now for a couple of years. But he was coming in every year and he would show up on my stealth cams like the 5th of January, almost every year. And he was an absolute giant, the biggest year I've ever had trail cam picks of. And he just didn't exist in hunting season. It, it was frustrating because I wanted to focus on that deer. I considered him to be like the deer of my lifetime, potentially. But I couldn't put any effort into him, it seemed, because I couldn't get a picture of him in the fall. And I tried branching out year after year in the summers. I would branch out to the north, to the west, to the east. But there's lots of private land. There's lots of places that you can't access unless you get permission. So you can only try at the spots that you get an opportunity to. But to me, shed hunting can teach you so much. It can teach you a box that exists that you didn't think existed, that you're never going to get a picture of in the fall. But if you're a full-timer and you're out there all year long and you're out there in the early spring and you're finding antlers, you find proof that there's other deer out there and it keeps pushing you. I also really enjoy finding antlers. You know, you get a deer that shows up that's brand new on your stand in the early fall and management is huge. I, I love saving deer and giving them the chance to reach their peak potential or reach maturity. Like Jason was talking about putting his clients on mature bucks. That's, it's a special thing in this day and age. And antlers, you can have a brand new deer show up and you can guess him to be three years old or you can guess him to be six years old. But shed hunting or watching him for a few years and finding his antlers really helps you age that deer if you don't know his complete history or past. So I love all the things that you can learn from shed hunting. I think it really adds to your hunting knowledge. So when you're out there in the fall 
you're getting ready to shoot a great big deer with your bow and arrow, you're better educated on what's there, how old the deer are, and you can give them a better chance to reach maturity. And you don't have that situation where you'll misjudge a deer, he shows up and you smoke a three and a half year old buck and you walk up to him and he's got a little baby face and a small body. And you thought he had a big body and he scores 15 inches less than you thought he did. You can shed hunting can actually erase or prevent some of those mistakes. It can educate you a lot better. Yeah, I think you used the word motivation. That alone is huge because to your point, hey, you know, you know that that deer is out there somewhere. And I mean, just follow this to a logical conclusion. You might not find that deer. You may never see that deer. In fact, it, it may be likely that you never lay eyes on that deer in the flesh. But if it gave you the motivation to go get some new permissions, explore some new areas, identify a couple new stand locations, you may ultimately, you know, shoot a different really good buck in, in a place that you never would have been had you not found that shed, right? So it still is a benefit. It, 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 motivation is huge for, for any bow hunter. Uh, Mr. Demko, um, what else before we wrap this up? I know we're coming up uh, probably on close to an hour and I don't want to keep these guys too long. It's been, uh, I don't know about you, Mark, but I mean, these guys have both been a wealth of information. And as Cody has said, you know, about Jason, they've both been fascinating as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's incredible to listen to all the insights, but, I, but I did want to ask one question. We sort of uh, woven this throughout the conversation, but do you two have a, you talked about hunting, I think Jason for sheds in, in mid-March being an ideal time, but the question is, do you prefer to, to hunt when there's snow on the ground? Uh, Cause I know Cody, you said it's good when the snow starts to go away, or do you like it when there's nothing on the ground? Do you have a preference on that as far as, you know, when you feel it's the optimal time to go out there and look for those? As far as, so from a visual standpoint, actually being able to sight and see them, I think that's probably a personal, um, I, I, I like it when there's no snow. To me, as a shed guy, I don't like snow, period, generally. <laughs> um, so I don't, I just don't like, I don't like there be snow on the ground. Now, I like cold because I'm a food source manager guy. And when, on years when it's warmer, um, the sheds are just scattered all over the place, right? So if it's super cold and no snow, to me, that would be ideal. Now I'm also, Cody was kind of talking about when the snow melts, you know, snow is an insulator. So I like to have snow on my, my food plots, my fields during the winter because spring green up uh, obviously comes quicker. So yeah, there's, I think from a, uh, actually spotting the shed antlers, I do not like snow personally. I like bright sunny days. I tend to do better with the sun to my back. Um, that I do on on any other day, but uh, yeah, I I I would probably curse the snow myself for a number of reasons. I don't know, Cody, if you had any other thoughts you wanted to add to that. I know you have a, a much different situation up there with the deer yarding up or herding up, and 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 you know, focus areas to look. But is there a certain time of the season you really like to get out there and hit it? The the most exciting time would be it's it varies every year but when this, all the snow melts the first day that you can get out there after if you have three or four days of really warm temperatures and the sun is hot you know it it reveals so many antlers that you haven't been able to see because they've dropped down into powder snow 
And there's there's always one, two, or three magical days where you're picking up an arm an armful of big antlers because they're finally exposed. And if you can get a nice sunny day like that, it, it's really hard if there's dappled snow and just brown grass and ground mixed. But if you can hit those first couple of days when all the snow is gone and it's sunny, it's awesome. It's you can find a lot of antlers and it's easy to see them from far away. The grass is packed down from the snow where it was packed all winter. And they're just, they're like beacons screaming for you. We call them screamers. So yeah, it's a really exciting time that first day or two after the snow melts. Well, guys, I tell you what, you know, uh, you can call your client back, Jason, and tell them, uh, you know, I don't know if we said anything new, but uh, we we managed to talk for an hour or pretty darn close to it about shed hunting. So hopefully we weren't just plowing old ground there, you know, but uh, we provided a few insights for our listeners and, uh, you know, entertained them a little bit along the way. I know that Cody Cody uh, currently ha- has moved to the top of my list for all time best shed hunting story. And I don't know if there's anybody else in North America who can honestly top that one, my man. It, it was, it was a fun day. And I, 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 I wish a guy could go out there and do it all again, but I, I feel like it's probably not going to happen, but yeah, it was special. Probably not, but I'm glad it did happen at least once to you and Mr. Snavely. Um, you know, we haven't had much snow, so uh, it sounds like you've been holding off. Let me know, you know, if I'm if I'm still invited, maybe I can get up there and uh, we can resurrect the old shed hunt of, of years gone by and, and have some good fellowship there. Yeah, I think I saw Goldie stroll by. She was a young pup back then. We started bringing her. She'd last about 10 minutes now, I think. And then she'd be yeah. like, I want to go back to the house and lay down now. <laughs> So anyway, uh, really appreciate both of you and the time that you made for us today. Mr. Demko, why don't you bring us out? Well, you know, like like we said during the conversation, you know, it's, shed hunting is a great way to extend your love for, for whitetails and for hunting. Get out there and see what's on the landscape. Most of the country, the, the time is now to start shed hunting. You might have to wait a little bit more when you're in Canada, but it's a great activity, great activity to do with families and uh We'll see you next time on the Bow Hunting Podcast. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on your local newsstand or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.